Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. What we're going to do in this series is spend some time investing in marriages. Those who are married, those who hope to be married one day, so that you don't get down the road and think, man, I wish somebody would have told me this before I got into hardship. Now, before we get into the message, though, I want to give a couple disclaimers because I recognize we've got a lot of people here that aren't married. And there may be a few different reasons for that. Maybe you're here and you're not married by choice. Maybe uh, you have no desire to get married. Can I, first of all, just applaud you for a minute? I think that's awesome. For real. Yeah, we can applaud you. Um, you, you might not realize this, but the Apostle Paul, who God used in a mighty way to write two-thirds of the New Testament, planted a lot of churches, he, God used him to provide a lot of doctrine. Before he ever uh, would start to talk about marriage in the church, he would say, can I just tell you, I wish all of you were single like me. I mean, it sounds a little conceited, Paul, but that's what he says, like, hey, I wish all of you were single. That's what I want for you. Nevertheless, God's given each one a gift. Some people are supposed to be single. Some people are supposed to be married. Later, he'd go on to say, and for those of you that are divorced or those of you that are widowed, I wish you would stay single. But he goes on to talk about marriage and the gift that marriage is. And I want to point that out to you because so many times, I think, in the church world, marriage gets held up on a pedestal as the end-all, be-all. And let me tell you, marriage should be esteemed. I think in our culture today, it's not valued, not esteemed enough. It should be esteemed. But I don't want you to think that the Bible devalues singleness because it doesn't. In fact, it actually holds up singleness as an opportunity and a gift for people. And so if you're here and you're single today and that's your plan for your life, that's awesome. But I'll say a couple things about that. First of all, Marriage is what God uses as a picture to help us understand his relationship with the church. We're the church. So even if you're here, you're single, no plans to get married, you're going to get some things out of this that are going to help you in your relationship with Jesus. I promise you that. Second, we're looking at this through the lens of commitment. And so that's something that applies to all of us. We all have commitments in our lives. We all have things that we say we're going to do. This is going to help you understand uh, how to fulfill and follow through with your commitments. But then there's a a couple other groups of people. You might be here and uh, maybe you're single, but it's not by choice. Maybe your plan is you really want to be married. You haven't met that person yet. And, but it's a desire of your heart. And so, man, you're like, oh, another marriage series. It's like, just going to remind me of what's not happening in my life. Well, can I tell you that if it's on your heart to be married, I believe God has that for you. Uh, I really do. He wouldn't have given you that desire if it wasn't part of his plan. And so maybe it hasn't happened yet, but I believe it will happen in his timing. That being said, you probably need to give God something to work with. Okay. So go on some dates, take a shower, you know, update your Tinder profile. I'm just, you now I don't know. Just, I'm just saying, like, not Tinder, something. But I'm just saying, give God something to work with. I believe he has that for you. But use this as an opportunity to prepare. Because that will happen, and you don't want to get down the road and think, man, I should have paid attention during that 
sermon series in October. I can't even find the podcast now. You have to borrow somebody's notes, and then you're just going to, you know, reveal the truth about your heart. So, um, But the, there's a the last group I want to talk to, and, and that's those of you who uh, have been divorced. And one thing I want to say to you, first of all, is that I'm sorry that you've gone through the pain of that separation. And I recognize that if that's been the case in your life, you might even be here today and just think, that title of this series, that could sting a little bit, like till death do us part. Because it's a reminder that you've made a commitment that you thought was going to be for life, and it didn't turn out that way. One thing I want to tell you is that what you're not going to get from us today or any other Sunday in this series is guilt, condemnation, or shame. You're not going to get that here. Now, I recognize that there's lots of different things that can happen and play into it, but what I would tell you, this title, it comes from traditional marriage vows, all right? You may know it. When you're getting married, you look your spouse-to-be in the eyes and say, Marissa, I take you as my wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. That's where it comes from. But if you're here and you're divorced, what I would want to say to you is think about the first part of those vows. Because what we're going to give you in this series is really something for you to have and to hold from this day forward. Yeah. Right? I, I want to tell you that in Christ, today can be a new day. In Christ, today can be a fresh start. And so there may be some things in your past. Maybe things didn't go the way you wanted. Maybe you made some mistakes. Maybe you're to blame. There's two people to blame. Maybe there's all sorts of reasons. But from this day forward, you can enter into a covenant relationship that is till death do us part, where you're all in. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But I know you have a few things you want to say. Right. Well, I just want to say I love free stuff and I love gifts. Anyone else? So, so he's the party, or he's the pastor, I'm the party. Um, like, everyone needs a sidekick, I'm your sidekick, okay? Let's do it. All right, so we really believe in marriages. We believe that God has designed marriage, and marriage is a good thing, and we want to put some practical things in your hands. So we have some books for you, and I know some of you are like, yay, books, and some of you are like, yay, books. You know, give me a date night, but anyway... We have some books that we really like, and we think that they could help you, and we feel like um, you can never look in too many places for information. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to become an expert on some things, you have to spend some time researching it and gather some from here, some from here, you know, from God's Word. And so we have a couple books that we want to give. And the first one that we are going to give out to someone who stands up and shouts and makes a big deal, is by Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Love Languages. And if you have not read that, I would highly recommend that you start there. But this book is called The Marriage You've Always Wanted. And bonus, it's a really thin book. So you could get The Marriage You Wanted and not very much reading. <laughs> you can find out about why won't my spouse change? Why can't we stop arguing about money? Why won't he listen to me or she? Or what if I'm the only one working in the marriage? And Heather, would you mind coming up here and finding someone that 
doesn't like to read big books and wants this, just stick your hand up in the air. Heather will, Heather will be glad to give it, or she will keep it herself. There we go. All right. And the next one, I just, I really think it's a funny title. I feel like it's like a... Like a radio night, show? Yes, a late night radio show. Love, Love talk. <laughs> but this is by Dr. Les and Leslie and Parrot. Is that how you say their last name? Yeah. I hope I'm not saying that wrong. Uh, that's how I thought it was. But anyway... Um, this is a great resource, and I actually want to give it to you two because I know you are about to say I do in the end of the month. And so we have some other resources that are available to people. Yeah, we really want to resource you during this series. And so one of the things, maybe if you're not married or even if you are, I have a new devotional releasing on version next week. And so you can go it's through great. that. Yeah. It is, it's called Shape of Your Heart, and it's the building blocks for great relationships, and it's going to help. It's designed to do with a group, so you can do it with a friend, you can do it with a coworker, do it with a parent, a child, do it with your spouse, but it'll be fun, and uh, we'll tell you more about that next week. So uh, we do want to get into our message today, and I promise you this is a sermon. We have a title, we have points, we have things for you to write down. However, we also want to have a conversation, and that's why we're on a couch, because uh, one of the privileges we have as your pastors is we get to walk with people through difficulty in their life. And there's been a lot of times where we've sat down with a couple on couches just like these, and we talk about the hurts, the pains, the things that have happened, and we say, well, let's look at God's Word. And by looking at God's Word, we can find help, we can find hope, and we can find healing for all of those things that, have, that we've experienced hope for our future, and so, uh, so that's what we want to do. We want to give you a message, we want to give you a sermon, but we also want to have a conversation. And so I would just ask that as we get into this today, that you would really pay attention, have ears to hear what God would say to you, whether you're married or not, and I believe that you'll walk out of here different than the way you came in. I want to look at a verse of scripture. Uh, this is found in the Song of Songs. You might know it as Song of Solomon. And some of you who know that book, you're like, really? We're going there already? Um, no, that's week three. We're going to get to that in week three. Uh, but Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6, I want to read this to you. It says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. Now, I like this verse for a few reasons. One, it makes me think about a tattoo that I have. Because uh, anytime that you can find a Bible verse for a tattoo, a reason to get a tattoo, that's a good thing in my book. See, and, and this is the problem being married to a man of God. He can find a scripture to justify any behavior well, and just and be I'll, like, it's God. I'll probably tell you the story next week. Uh, but yeah, I got this tattoo on my arm. And, and it, it was, was a big fight. So next week's about conflict. It wasn't really a big fight, but it was good. But anyway, the point of the scripture is this. Uh, the point of the scripture is this, is that uh, if you don't know much about the Song of Solomon, this is the bride talking. So you got a, a married couple. This is the bride. They're married. And what she's saying is, hey, this, this marriage that we just entered into, this relationship, this covenant relationship, it's not enough for me to just be close. It's not enough for me to just be valued. I want this anchored in something deeper. I want it anchored in commitment. And she says, our love is as strong as death as unyielding as the grave. What is she saying? Is that nobody escapes death. That's not something you can skip out on. 
And she's saying this relationship, our relationship, this love, it's not something we're going to skip out on. We're committed to each other. We're in this together. This is forever between me and you. And so I want to use this verse to introduce our topic today. We're calling this message, if you're taking notes, a commitment in covenant. A commitment in covenant. Now, I know we took a long time with our introduction, but I want to pray, ask for God's help, and then uh, we'll get into this. So would you bow your head with me? Well, God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to get into your word. And God, I know that you have something you want to say to each person here. So God, use us today. We know it's not our opinions, our ideas that matter. It's your word that transforms. So God, let your word go forth. Let it be planted in people's hearts today. Father, let lives be changed as we open up your word and see what you have to say. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. You know, I was thinking this morning, actually, just while you were praying, I was thinking about my father-in-law. And uh, if you don't know him, he's a great guy. He's, um, he's like 84 years old, about my height. But he's like chocked full of wisdom. And I remember before we got married, um, he didn't marry us, but, and nor did he do our premarital counseling. But every once in a while, he gave us just like little nuggets of wisdom. And uh, one time, he, he said to us, you know, Justin and Marissa, you know how to spell marriage? Spelled W-O-R-K. That's how we would say it, W-O-R-K. Marriage is spelled work. And all of us that have been married for longer than a day know that yeah. marriage is work. Mm-hmm. And marriage, good marriages, great marriages, they don't just happen, but they have to be built. And I think sometimes the reason marriages have trouble, the reason they struggle, is because we're building them on a faulty foundation. The early stages of our relationship, we've been married 15 years, we've known each other 18 years, and we dated three years long distance before we got married. He made me work to get him. I mean, I was ready to sign up day three, but it took him a little while. But anyway, the early stages, I couldn't wait for you to call me because I knew it was going to be a long conversation. Or when I got an email, we didn't have cell phones or text messaging back in 2000. It was straight up emails if you wanted to share your love. And you know, we wouldn't see each other all that often, but when we did finally get to see each other, I would spend so much time thinking about my outfit and my hair and my makeup. I wanted to present myself in the best way possible for you. I feel like you're going to say something. <laughs> Just <laughs> in the, listening. In the best way possible because I was so excited to see you. Do y'all remember the, the beginnings of your relationship with your spouse, those, those butterflies? Maybe some of you are in that still. And I mean, 15 years later, you still do give me butterflies. They're just different butterflies, okay? Yeah, it's really sweet. All right. But anyway, I think what we do in those early stages is we mistake infatuation for love. Yeah. We're thinking, you make me feel so good, let's get married. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, you make me happy, it must be God, let's get married. But really, what we have is a faulty foundation. We're building a lifetime based on these questions. How do you make me feel? You make me happy. What's in it for me? And when we do that, the problem is it's all centered around me. You see, you get two selfish individuals coming together, 
and I want it all about me, and he wants it all about him, and when we realize that, wait a minute, it's not all about me, that's when marriage has the, the possibility to explode. So, so really what you're talking about is the difference between a contract and a covenant. A, a contract and a covenant. Sometimes we say, like, I don't know if you've ever heard it said, well, you know, marriage is just a piece of paper. Like, what difference does it really make? What you're saying, it's, you're implying, it's just a contract. It's just a piece of paper. But what I want to tell you is there's a big difference between a contract and a covenant. Has anybody ever uh, entered into a contract before? Maybe uh, if you've ever rented an apartment, bought a house, got a loan, opened a gym membership, got a cell phone, just really lowering the bar for anybody. Um, When you enter into a contract, think about what a contract is. A contract is based on mutual distrust. That's why the first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is that marriage isn't a contract. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage isn't a contract. Marriage is a covenant. And there is a huge difference between the two. It's based on mutual distrust. So when we enter into a contract, we say, okay, I don't know you that well yet. I don't know all the things that you might freak out, you might be crazy. And so I'm gonna enter into this with, tell you what, here's a list of my expectations. And as long as you meet my expectations, we're good. And then on the other side, she might say, well, here's a list of my expectations, and as long as you meet my expectations, we're good. And so we come into it with our list of expectations, what we're wanting out of this, and the moment that our expectations fail to be met, we're out. Peace out. I'm not, I didn't sign up for this. But see, marriage isn't a contract, it's a covenant. A covenant isn't built on mutual distrust, a covenant is based on mutual commitment. Commitment. It's where I'm not in the, contracts say, I'm in this as far as you're in this. A covenant says, I'm in this 100%. You're in this 100%. And a covenant, you see it in scripture. Uh, Genesis talks about how God made Adam and Eve. And he said, it's for this reason that man will leave his father and mother and be joined or united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That word joined or that word united, it means perfectly joined and fit together. That's kind of like this structure here, this Jenga blocks. We've got two lives perfectly joined and fit together. It represents a covenant. Right. It also kind of represents marriage. You know, marriage can be like a game of Jenga. Now, we don't play a lot of games together, mostly because you're too competitive, but do you want to play a game of Jenga Let's with play. me? Okay. So if we view marriage like, like this game of Jenga, and we've built it on what makes me feel good, well, then there's going to be a day where you hurt my feelings, where you say something that kind of rubs me the wrong way, and yeah, I don't really like that, so I just have to take my, my block of feeling good out of the way. Well, and, you know, I came into this marriage with some expectations, and I don't know if you remember, but you didn't really fulfill all of my expectations, and so I'm going to take this one out here and just set that there. I just want to point out I'm trying to build up our marriage, and she's just taking, uh, eroding the foundation. (laughs) I'm trying to build something great here. Will you work with me? 
Yeah, and then I just want to point out that you never used to mind my faults, but now you always just point out my faults. Well, I don't know if you realize this, but um, I thought we had an agreement, and uh, we were talking about finances, and when you spent that money, you know, Scripture says where your treasure is, there your heart is also, and um, I thought that we were in agreement. Apparently, we don't value the same things. Yeah. You used to be a free spirit, not a care in the world, and now you always are getting on me about money. Well, it was easier to be a free spirit before we had kids, and, you know, once you had kids, well, I mean, like... We used to spend a lot more. I, I was the only one who needed your attention, but now that like they're taking your attention. And see, that's what happens with our marriages. We've built it on the wrong foundation. And when our needs aren't being met, eventually it crumbles. So today, what we're proposing to you is that maybe there's a better foundation to build your marriage on than what's in it for me, what makes me feel good, what makes me happy. And, you know, we're not saying that God doesn't want you to have happiness, that he doesn't want you to have a fulfilling, life-giving relationship. We're not saying that at all, but we're saying maybe there's something deeper to build on. And that brings us to our first foundation level. We believe if you want to have a strong, healthy, life-giving marriage, it has to be built on a foundation of trust. Yeah, you can't build a marriage on feelings. Because if you do, you're going to wind up with wreckage like this. We, we wonder why we see so many marriages struggle. They're in it together. They're trying to build something, but their foundation is how I feel. And I'm, feelings are going to come and go. Even loving feelings are going to come and go. It's got to be built on something stronger. You've got to build it on a covenant. And the covenant is based on three things. I love the fact we have three points for you and three Jenga blocks for you to uh, follow along with. But we talked about trust. Mm -hmm. A covenant relationship is based on trust. Think about trust. I, I know some of you would be like, well, all right, you're going to talk about trust, but you don't know my situation. You don't know my spouse. I mean, they've They've done so many things that I have every reason not to trust them. Like, I've tried trusting them, and it hasn't worked out. Look, I get it. You're right. I don't know your spouse. I don't know that person. I don't know what they've done. I don't know why you feel like you can't trust them or what their track record is. But here's what I do know. We can't control them, but you can control you. And you can choose what you want to do. And I'm not saying that you need to be a doormat. And I'm not saying even that you need to just open the floodgates to somebody who has a proven track record of being untrustworthy. But what I am saying is that there's a choice involved. Are you going to be the kind of person that extends trust? Or are you going to be the kind of person that extends suspicion? And, you know, humans aren't perfect, you aren't perfect, I'm not perfect, so here's what happens. Because we're humans and we can choose to extend suspicion or we can choose to extend trust, sometimes we create gaps. And a gap is the distance between where I am or what I said I would do and what I actually did. What I proposed I'd be and what I actually am. We create gaps sometimes. And if you are going to build a strong, healthy marriage, you have to be a person that extends trust. Now, 
I just want to say my natural tendency is suspicion. You know, you're definitely a trust guy. Like you believe. Believe the best, mm -hmm. full of grace, optimist. I see really your potential. Is. Really does. Calls it out of you, pulls it out of you. That's why you're a great pastor, a great leader. I am not that way. I'm suspicious of every single one of you, okay? She actually doesn't trust you right now. I think, I, you don't want to know what I'm thinking. I'm just kidding. I trust you all. But you see, because I know that about me, because I recognize that in me, sometimes I think, like, I catch myself thinking, like, okay, I asked you to do something, but you're probably not going to do it, so I need plan B. And I'm probably definitely going to need plan C because plan B is going to fall through. And really, the only person that I can trust is me. I should have just done it myself to begin with. Can I tell you that's an exhausting way to yeah. live? If you never trust anyone, you, I mean, you're just setting yourself up for a lifetime of hurt. And so what you have to do is if you are a person that naturally goes to the suspicion level, when I ask you to do something or when you say you're going to do something for me, I have to choose to believe the best. I can't just go to suspicion and think, like, he's not, he's not going to fall through. It's not going to happen. I have to choose to say, no, he said he's going to do this. I believe he's going to do this, and if he said he's going to do it, it's going to happen. And some of us get so busy with suspicion that we neglect the details. We don't have evidence for us to be suspicious, but we're already just automatically suspicious. Yeah, and you mentioned this. I want to talk about this a little bit, that when we break trust, what we're really doing is we're creating gaps. And that's understandable because we're all human. None of us are perfect. We're, that's going to happen regardless. So if I do something, extend, having trust in a relationship isn't just about extending trust. It's also about being trustworthy. So when I do something that creates a gap, I told you I was going to do something and I didn't, that creates a gap. And what I want you to hear is that maybe it's not on you to extend the trust. Maybe it's on you to show that you can be trustworthy by filling the gap. So how do you do that? Well, you're, because you're really trustworthy and trusting person, you're great at filling the gaps. Really, like, everyone should look to get a man like you if they're a woman, a married man like you. But anyway, okay, so, off topic. This week in our house, um, we had one of these situations where it was kind of chaotic and you were going to pick Reese up from football. And that's a normal thing. I normally pick the kids up take him home from school, take Reese to football, come back home. And football practice is like 25 minutes from our house. And so you pick Reese up, bring him home. But on this particular day, you texted me, or you called me. It was like 5.30. Now he has to be there at 5.45 to pick up Reese, 25 minutes. Are you following, tracking the details? He's like, I'm so sorry. I was in my car on the way to get Reese, and my calendar dinged. I didn't realize that I had an appointment or I misread my calendar I know this is going to be a huge inconvenience for you, that I need you to go get Reese now. I know that puts everything on you, bedtime, bath time, dinner time. Like, if it would be easier for you to, like, run and grab some drive through on the way home, do whatever you need to do just to make the night easier for you, I am so sorry. You were filling the gap for me. You know, you could have been like, babe, I'm a man of God. When God calls, I got to answer. That's right. But you didn't. You know, you apologized. You came to me so that I didn't have to be suspicious in the future. You said, I'm sorry, you filled the gap for me. And the point is, is that filling the gap, it's not what you do after the fact, mm -hmm. it's what you do before. So it's different if it's like, hey, you were trying to hide something 
and then you got found out and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry about that. that you're not really sorry. You're just sorry that you got caught. But what we're talking about is, hey, I want you to know that I'm trustworthy. And what is happening right now is not me. So what can I do to fill that gap for you? It might be lots of times in marriages, people argue over finances and there's maybe a fight because I spent something that we didn't talk about. And so, hey, I realized that I broke trust with you. I created a gap. I wanna fill that gap by saying, let's sit down, let's do the budget together. I'm gonna take cash out. This is gonna be what I spend. Maybe if it's broken trust around a lust issue or a sexual issue, it's not on the other person to say, all right, I wanna see all the text messages, I wanna see all the emails, I want all the password. No, that's not, it's, it's on you to say, I broke trust with you, here is everything. Anytime, like, what do you wanna see? It's on me to fill the gap. And you know, I think that this principle doesn't just relate to marriages. I think, what if you did that in your work relationship? You know, what if your boss asked you to do something and you didn't do it? And instead of like giving him a list of excuses as to why you didn't get it done, why don't you say, hey, you know that email? I didn't prioritize it. I didn't get it done. I'm sorry about that, but I'm going to be a man of my word today and take care of this. Or what about with your children? You know, hey, I promised you that I'd take you to this place and I wasn't able to do that. I'm sorry. I'm going to make that up to you. What if we did that? What if we filled the gaps in all of our relationships? How would that change those relationships? Well, let's look at some scriptural examples of this. In Proverbs 28, verse 6, it says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked and two-faced, though he's rich. When I read this, what I thought about is how so many arguments in marriage revolve around money, not enough money, tensions around money, and that's understandable. But what this says is that you would be better off in your relationships if you have trust than to have all of your needs met and not have trust. It's a crazy thought. Another proverb says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. In other words, when you're trying to build a solid foundation, a secure foundation, one of the things you have to have is trust. Because if you don't have trust, you're always gonna be wondering, I don't know, like, what's gonna happen? Is this gonna last? Looking over your shoulder, do it, is he being honest with me when he says he's at the office? Is she being honest with me when she said that's what she did? Mm-hmm. So we build on the foundation of trust, and the next foundation that we can build on is honesty. Now, trust and honesty, those are sequential. You can't have honesty until you have trust. I'm talking about being able to have authentic communication in your relationship. And if I'm building my marriage on what makes me feel good, then I don't really want honest communication because sometimes that doesn't make me feel good. And if I'm building my marriage on what makes me happy, then I'm not going to be honest and I don't want to talk with you and I don't want to dig through the issues, especially if it's my junk because I don't want to deal with that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to eject from the relationship. But when we have an atmosphere of trust established, we can have honesty. We can have honest communication with one another. So let's look at some scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 19.20 says, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. Proverbs 14.5 says, an honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. So there's another verse I didn't include in the notes, but 
It's one of my favorites. It's in Proverbs. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And what really these three things are saying is, see, we think about having honesty in marriage and just meaning like, hey, we're not going to hide anything, no secrets, like I'm, you know, I'm not going to stay deceptive about what I'm doing or anything like that or where I'm spending money or any of those kind of things. But truth is, the, the lies that really destroy a marriage aren't the things that you try and keep hidden. It's when I try and keep you hidden from you. And that can't happen if you don't have honest communication. You can't have honest communication if you haven't established trust. Because what you're saying is, okay, I trust you, so now you can speak into my life about a situation. I trust you, so I know that you can give me feedback into this. See, a lot of people say they want feedback, but once they get feedback, they recognize that they don't really like it. I don't like feedback so much anymore. But when there's trust, you can have honest Communication, not lying about the real you. Yeah, not saying like, no, you're really great at yard work. Yeah, or <laughs> you're not like your mom at all. <laughs> no. That's not us. Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> so we're examples. Here's the other thing about honest communication. Um, when you have it, when you have trust and you're able to be honest with one another, I don't have to worry that my honesty is going to make him retaliate against me because we have that layer of trust. I don't, I'm not going to say something to him and he's not going to come back at me and manipulate the situation so then it's all on me. See, it's kind of like if you're, if you're not being honest, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you one thing, but I'm not going to tell you everything and you can't build on that. Yeah. You can't have gray areas. Go ahead. All right. Well, Last one. so we're going to build it on trust. We're going to build it on honesty. And the third component to a strong, healthy marriage is this. It's commitment. And the Bible says in Romans 12, verses 9 and 10, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. It says be devoted to one another. Be committed to one another. In other words, I'm with you heart and soul. When I said I do, I meant I do forever. I got you. You can't run me off. I have some staying power in this relationship. But it's going to be difficult to stay committed in the hard times if you don't first have that foundation of trust. And if I don't trust you, then I'm not going to be able to talk honest with you. And if I can't be honest when things are good, I definitely can't be honest when things are hard. And if I can't get honest with you, then I can never be fully committed to you. So think about this. We're talking in the context of marriage as a covenant relationship. But recognize that's not the only covenant relationship that we enter into. There's other covenant relationships. And the one I would talk to you about is our covenant relationship with Jesus. Again, covenant, it's a Bible word. But we think about, like, what does that really mean? Well, in a lot of ways, we know Old Testament and New Testament. It's really... Old Covenant and New Covenant. There was the way people used to relate to God, but then because of Jesus, there's the way that we can relate to God now. In fact, in Bible times, whenever there was a covenant, there was a shedding of blood. Jesus, the Lamb of God, went to the cross, shed his blood for you and for me. So how do we enter into that covenant relationship with Jesus? Well, it starts with trust. 
Jesus says, I want you to extend trust to me. Trust me. And he proves that he's trustworthy by going to the cross and dying on the cross for our sins, yours and mine. Honesty. How do, we, how do we enter into relationship with Jesus? There's trust, but then honesty. We have to be honest about where we're at. Honest about the fact that, God, apart from you, I'm a sinner. Honest about the fact that, God, I can't make it through this life on my own. Honest about the fact that, God, I need you in my life. I've tried in my own efforts. I've done the best I can, but I always fall short. Honest about the fact that God's standards are perfection, and we can't measure up to that. Trust, honesty, and commitment. After we are honest about where we're at, he says, I want you to commit your life to me. Now, this is kind of crazy when you think about it, because like you don't have a relationship with him yet. God, what are you going to ask of me? God, what are you going to do? What are you going to expect of me? I'd like to know the list of expectations before I enter into this thing, but it's not a contract. It's a covenant relationship. And so many people get messed up in their marriages because they think that, well, I don't know how this is all going to play out. I want to make sure I know this person well. And I get that. You need to make sure you know this person well and all of that. But what you need to know is that good marriages aren't built on chemistry. They're built on commitment. They're built on a covenant. It's the fact that it says, I'm 100% into this. I'm all in. My life is now your life. That's what we do when we enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus.